Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. Hey, this is Scott Pingle from SNM2, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm flown order the way that it should be. The song's about the night they spent protecting you from me. Someone called us outlaw in some old magazine. Turn a posse down like I ain't ever seen. Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clay Wells. This is episode 161. We're going to take a trip back to 2002 and go to another year in the life of Metallica. Not a crazy busy year, but some great notable stuff happened in that year. Yeah, we're going to burn it all down in detail like we usually do with these uh, these Year in the Life episodes. And I'm just glad that we are doing something that feels kind of normal. Although, yeah. unusually, we were both in Nashville in our respective HQ studios. But we were doing this episode remotely because we're taking the social distancing thing pretty seriously, I would say. We are. And you should, too, by the way, out there. You absolutely should, yeah. Uh, even just literally as we were recording this 15 minutes ago... Hasn't happened statewide in Tennessee, but our mayor did declare um, a stay-at-home policy like they did in California and New York in right. Davidson County. Wow. So a good step, but I wish the old governor would do the th- you know that for the whole state because some people still don't get it, man. Right, right. Illinois did it too, I saw. Yeah, it's it's a weird time. We know all you guys listening at home or, uh, around the world, uh, hopefully you're staying home and, 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 you know, practicing safe social distancing and, you know, just... Going out for necessities. It's 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 tempting to just get out of the house and going, you're going a little stir crazy and you just want to get out. But you know, if you have to, it's like go for a walk. You know, in your neighborhood, there's not a lot of people, or maybe just get in your car and go for a drive. You know, don't pick anybody up on the side of the road. Right. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it, it is a weird, strange time we're in right now. I've, I've I described it to a friend as is is like a very comfortable apocalypse. Right. Like right. we're not we're not running from zombies or anything, but we can't go anywhere. <laughs> Well, the truth is, is that the whole staying home thing is to prevent the apocalypse because exactly. here's when it's going to get really... If you're uncomfortable because you're bored, that's one thing. I totally get it. I'm sure my five-year-old can identify with you. But you're going to be real uncomfortable when the medical infrastructure of the country collapses and people really start... The numbers start getting really scary. So yeah, we're trying to avoid that by being bored. So Exactly. And really, I mean, I, mean, I know that the financial repercussions of all this with jobs and, and all that stuff is very, very scary, but... It's not often that we're asked to stay home and do nothing. So right. if you could, you know, get, not get past the financial problems, but, you know, I guess enjoy the time you do have at home, you know, with your family, uh, a roommate, parents, kids, whatever. You know, I mean, my wife and I, my wife's off. She, her store, uh, her coffee shop got closed for 30 days. So, you know, we're at home full time together, which is kind of rare. <laughs> but, um, right. you know. I wonder uh, what the divorce rate's going to be after this whole thing. <laughs> People are going to either going to get a lot closer or a lot further apart. We've really, I well, I can't totally speak for my wife, but I do feel like we've been enjoying the time together. Yeah, because like you, I mean, our schedules were always so nuts. Especially, I mean, 
you know, she would work a normal 40-hour work week, and then I would work all the weekends. So mm-hmm. this is really different <laughs> from that. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, I'm, I'm used to having my my mornings kind of to myself in the studio from, like, I mean, well, my wife goes to work at, like, 4 in the morning till like, noon. So, yeah. yeah, so there's little adjustments here and there. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, we're getting to spend some good time together. You know, we sat out in the backyard yesterday, had a fire pit going, and kind of the best-case scenario when you're sitting at home, it's like, to me, it feels like this nice break, this relief where... I feel like I'm so much less distracted by things right now, mm-hmm. um, and I think I think Tennessee got a head start on that kind of feeling with the tornado that happened. Right, right. I mean, shoot, man, we had we had no power here at HQ One for nine days, and like within 48 hours, it was like panic about coronavirus. Right. So we can, <laughs> Davidson County here has kind of got a double whammy with the, the tornado into this, but um, I don't know. I feel like in a way that the tornado that hit so close to my house. Almost kind of prepped me for this because I, you know, I was only leaving my house during during the tornado relief period just to go get like gas and food. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, that's such a good perspective. I, I was talking to some friends the other day about that too. We we're like, man, we we just weren't even really over the tornado before. Now the tornado seems like another life, like a different. It does a different time. Hmm. Um. Uh, feels like years ago, but uh, it it does. But I guess there is, you know, the positives that do come. I was talking to my friend Drew Holcomb the other day, too. Where I was like, man, I'll tell you what. The next time I'm able to actually see you and have a whiskey with you, I will not take that for granted. Like, I, I think that I think that there's some potential for some really good societal changes mm-hmm. after this. Agreed, yeah. I, I really, I, I was thinking that during uh, the time the tornado hit till this all started, or it really got, or really blew up, I guess, in our country. The, yeah, I mean, I really hope some of these practices, you know, people stick with it, you know, when all this is blown over, whenever that may be. In a way, the destruction that is five houses away from me is a daily reminder sometimes, like if I have to go to the store or whatever. I mean, right down from my house, it still looks like a bomb went off. Right. And it's like this reminder, it brings me right back to that night that it hit. And, and so I feel like in a way that destruction is, is, is reminding me to keep that perspective going after all this. Right. Well said. Well, okay, so we'll kind of leave. I mean, I'm sure this will come up throughout the conversation, perhaps. And then and then Ethan and I, for those of you out there, Metal Up Your Podcast family, are committed to doing episodes every week. So yeah, um, bringing some sense of normalcy to your lives and, and to our lives, too. So we'll be here with you. I'm sure this isn't the last time we'll talk about it, but we're not going to just camp out there forever. We're going to talk about Metallica. That's right. And 2002. Yeah, I know, kind of a weird year, but we're moving through it, and... What's cool about these year in the lives is that whatever the sort of ancillary things going on in the band, it's good to like you know we did two thousand one and then we sort of camped out in the classic albums when mm-hmm. we were doing the year two thousand we did the Playboy interview we did the Napster controversy so we're we're moving into some kind of monster Saint Anger Lulu territory that's right <laughs> so there's going to be a lot to talk about <laughs> so first first of all in the news someone reached out the other day and and said uh, they said hey did I just miss something or is Metallica not canceled the South America dates. And as of now, they have not officially canceled those dates. Yeah, it's real weird. I, I've been thinking about it and and trying to, just because, you know, we're both in the music industry and like, you know, me working for Kings and Leon, like everything's on hold right now, right. indefinitely. So it is interesting that, I mean, th- I mean, that first South America date's only like three weeks away. There's no way they're doing it. There's no way. I mean, there's already, <clears throat> there's already countries in South America that have shut down borders. Right. You know, and they don't even have near the cases we have here. So I don't know. I mean, maybe it's to the, to, to the boys and the band, maybe it's a bit of a sensitive thing because they've canceled so much already. But at the same time, I mean, this whole pandemic happening 
is a pretty damn good excuse to cancel stuff. And I think people will be very understanding. Well, right. Well, they already had to cancel a couple of the festivals, which I have some information about that too, but um, that's next. But, um, and then James you know, wrote that letter that basically said, hey, we're going to be doing the rest of the shows that are on the schedule for this year. So right. like, it's like right after he made that comment, that was like March 4th or something, things started to really get crazy that week with mm-hmm. the pandemic. I mean, I, 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 we don't have any insider info on this. God knows uh, at this point, but, yeah. uh, but I can't imagine they're going to do those gigs. I just can't imagine it. I think it would be foolish too. I think it'd be irresponsible too yeah, to, I, I to agree. have that many people gather. You know, and not only on their part, but on the festival promoter. So what was that festival in Mexico that went through with it? And they got a lot of heat. They, they actually. Oh, put... Gun, Guns and Roses played. Wow, and Guns showed up and did it. And guns did it, wow. and I did. I did read that they that they were screening people coming in. Now I don't know what that process was. If the people were getting their temperatures taken, or it was just what? a couple questions. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, that sounds like bullshit. It seems crazy that they went through with it, but um, the good news is we took everyone's temperature. The bad news is we used the same thermometer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we don't have we don't Crap. have the funding for festival thermometers. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is we got a whole slew of way your crap toilets. Bad news is everyone had coronavirus. So yeah, it's a bummer. So uh, the toilets will be in great use. Well, check this out. So I found an article. Speaking of just the two, you know, there was some controversy around James canceling two of the festivals, the Sonic Temple and the Louder Than Life festivals, because of engagement. You know, I guess commitments he had, and there was some right. uh, speculation about what those were. So I found an article that says. Uh, it was announced earlier this month that Metallica would not perform at the two Danny Wimmer Presents produced U.S. festivals this spring. So he has these things booked called Sobriety Weekends. He says, we okay. got a call from Metallica's management team, Q Prime, who are the best managers in the business, hands down. A little ass kissing there. And said that James has Sobriety Weekends that are requirement weekends throughout the calendar year. And unfortunately, a couple of the weekends fell on our festivals. So Sobriety Weekends typically consist of two to three night readmissions to a 30-day residential program to continue to enhance rehab patients' ongoing recovery. So it's basically him checking himself back into rehab for a weekend. Yeah, it's like a self-check thing, um, from what I understand, with friends that have gone through rehab. It's not like, a, you know, oh, the shit hit the fan again, I got to get back in there. It's a, it's more of a, just a, almost like a checkup in a way. So yeah, you're right. It's kind of complicated because you've got this, this is really important you know, life and death stuff with James, but then you've also got the life and death stuff with the planet. So to those of you out there who just continue to feel disappointed about the rescheduling or canceling shows, hopefully we can all come together and understand that it makes sense for, for Metallica and most bands to, to maybe slow things down. I mean, Pearl Jam canceled their arena tour. Yeah. Coachella canceled. They're even thinking about moving the Olympics. So bon- I, uh, I haven't confirmed or looked it up and confirmed it, but I've heard that Bonnaroo is already getting pushed back too, and that's in June. Yeah. I think this is going to last a lot longer than April and May. Yeah, I think so too. I have a, um, me and my wife have a close friend that uh, lives back in California in Oakland, and his wife does a lot of work with the CDC. She has a, um, she has like her PhD in, um, like human disease and all, it, basically what's happening she now. She has a she, PhD. At the CDC. At the CDC. And, uh, yeah, we, we were uh, t- texting with him, and uh, my wife had a trip planned to see her dad in June, and he ba- he basically said his wife was like, don't count on it. Right. Like, this is gonna this is a lot worse than we all think it is. Yeah. So, you know, and, it, and it's, as a Metallica fan, I'm sure it sucks to, uh, you know, maybe add tickets to those South American shows or whatever, but 
I mean, also understand like everything's canceled. It's not like everyone's touring, but Metallica. I mean, you know? your butt's canceled, so my butt is totally canceled. I don't even have my way your crap <laughs> toilet right now. Well, here's some better news. So Metallica, before everything went insane, introduced this thing that they're calling the Metallica Vinyl Club, which we are signed up for, by the way, Ethan. Awesome. Here is the press release for that. It's another first for us, our very own Vinyl Club. As huge music fans ourselves, it's been super exciting to see the resurgence of vinyl, how, how much enjoyment we all get collecting, exploring, and connecting with other fans, mining for lost treasures. Those of us who love the look, feel, and sonic warmth of vinyl are sort of in our little exclusive club, so with that in mind, we thought it would be fun start adding to our collections on a regular basis. The 2020 Vinyl Club subscription is available exclusively to fifth members, which, by the way, it's free to be a fifth member. So go to Metallica.com, become a fifth member. It's cool. We'll bring you rare cuts, demos, and rough mixes, live rarities. Who knows what we'll dig up? Obviously, there'll be cuts that have never been released on vinyl before. Each subscription includes a personalized membership card for 7-inch vinyl records, and select releases throughout the year will include additional collectibles, this could be anything from stickers to pics or even posters. Awesome. So I think you only have a few more days to do this. The you, yeah. The the end of the sign up is March thirty first at midnight. We jumped on this day one. So if you're curious about what it costs, obviously that's important right now. Not a lot of people spending extra money. Right. So it's yeah. fifty bucks, and you get four seven inches plus whatever their bonuses they throw in with all this stuff. Yeah. So you can either get four shipments a year, or you can get all four seven inches at the end of the year in one shipment. And, and that's going to change the cost of it, too, because once you put that stuff in the relevant fields and your zip code, you're going to have to pay shipping on this stuff, too. So I think ours came, we're going to get f- the four shipments a year. So every time they have a new seven inch, we're going to get that. And I think with shipping to Tennessee, it came out to like 70 bucks. Right. For the year. Yeah. And it is a little tough right now, obviously, if, if you're not working or able to work from home, maybe you don't have the extra cash. But um, yeah, 50 to 70 bucks for a whole year. You know, right now it seems like a lot of money, but in general, I guess it's not that much. I like how they always try to sweeten these things, like with all the stuff you get. And one of the things they have listed that you get is a personalized membership card. Ooh. That who's going to present? Who are we presenting that to, Ethan? Are we going to go to Costco and show them our personalized Metallica Vinyl Club membership? I think card? the next time, the next time I get pulled over, I'm going to present. <laughs> Just that. Show them see, that. See, see how that goes. <laughs> so you're going 95 and a 40, but I'm part of the Metallica Vinyl Club uh, exclusive subscription member. Don't you worry, officer. Look, it's my membership card. Don't believe me? I even me? have one of the seven inches right here. Read them and weep, copper. <laughs> Sir, I'm sorry. I did not realize you were a, uh, a member of the uh, Metallica Vinyl Club. You may go along and please drive as fast as you like. Yeah. All right. Other things in the news. Kirk played the Peter Green tribute. I think the last proper episode that you and I did, that gig was happening that night. Right. It was. Yeah. So that's happened. It was a success. They're turning it into a, let's see, the whole thing is documented in an extensive live album to be released October 19th as a quote unquote super deluxe box Ooh. set. Ooh. Containing four vinyl records, two CDs, a Blu-ray disc, and a <laughs> pocket full of pear trees. What, what's the what's the song? <laughs> On the first day of Christmas, right. Peter Green gave to me. What is the last thing you say? And a partridge in a pear tree. A partridge in a pear tree. I don't know yeah. what any of that means. Neither do I. Okay, so it's going to be called Mick Fleetwood and Friends Celebrate the Music of Peter Green and the Early Years of Fleetwood Mac. You can pre-order it now. I wasn't really into Peter Green era Fleetwood Mac, but I mean they were a blues band basically, and it's it's cool, it's fun to listen to for sure. But I mean, once you know you had you know Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks join forces, yeah, that's my well, shit. that's that, that's when to me they they became like 
songwriters, right. you know, like really good songwriters. It just took a massive step up in songwriting. So, yeah, but to each their own. If you like that Peter Green stuff, hey, go nuts. Get a membership card if you have to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it comes with four vinyl, two CDs, Blu-ray, but does it come with a personalized membership card? That's what I want to know. This yeah. is the year, especially in the in the year of the quarantine, this is the year of personalized membership cards. And I think we need to get some Metal Up Your Podcast patron personalized membership cards. That's true. Maybe in the, in the same metal mater- material as the uh, black tickets. Now, the last thing that happened is Kirk played in his the cover band, the wedding band with Rob, and he had a wah-off with Mrs. Smith at the Crybaby Battle Royale. And we are going to listen to that wah If you haven't had a chance to see it online, we have it for you here at Metal Leprechaun Podcast. So let's take a minute and listen to that, and then we'll come back and talk about it. <laughs> Thank you. 
her. I learned it all from watching you. Well, there you have it. So Kirk, Kirk was unable to compete with Mrs. Smith. She was running four wah pedals at the same time, even though he did have a giant wah pedal on stage. Did you see that Dunlop made him a giant crybaby? <laughs> it was it was like his riser. Yeah. It was ego box. It was it's awesome. So it, looked, it was an ego box. It looked amazing with that huge wah pedal, and then his his normal size one, him on top. Yeah. Oh, it was great. It was like Papa and Son. <laughs> it seemed like a good spirit of that that gig too. Like they kind of. You know, did some duelings. I'll tell you what, that Mrs. Smith dude can wail. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. he's like a shredder. But they go back and forth. They look like they're having a lot of fun. And then, of course, humorously, Mrs. Smith turns on four waz at the same time and Kirk, Kirk gives <laughs> up. <laughs> and then Mrs. Smith says, well, I learned, ev- I learned everything from you, which I thought was a nice little cherry. Oh, that's that. really cool. It's nice awesome. to see some fun happening, you know. I mean yeah, that's absolutely. that's a gig that that if it was booked for next week would be canceled by now. Oh, absolutely. That's how yeah. different everything is. I mean, I think even isn't it nuts that the last thing we might have done this whole year was that session we did with Paul? Yeah, yeah, we did that uh what, 2 weeks ago or something? I guess no one knows about that. That was on March 10th. Yeah, where me and you play guitar on a session at at Smokestack for an artist from Jersey. Yeah. Killer band put together, but I mean that was like my last normal day. And for me, it was a really nice break because that was like uh, six days after the tornado hit. And I was spending every day cleaning up, right. chainsawing, hauling logs out to the front of my house, all that stuff. So it was like I really needed that day. It was so therapeutic for me. But uh, that is crazy. That's the last yeah thing we've done in person together. <clears throat> well, that's the news. That's all we have. And, of course, if you can follow us on the socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're we're keeping everyone updated with anything we know as far, in terms of cancellations, what the boys are up to. And then, of course, you can follow us on our personal socials and, and see what Ethan and I are doing. I'm getting a lot of writing done. You can go find all that. Just look for us. Uh, we are doing this thing on the Metal Up Your Podcast socials where we're doing nightly Metallica questions that sort of stir up conversations. Mm -hmm. Favorite guitar solos, favorite records, Justice versus Puppets and why, and favorite Hetfield guitars. And that's been a kind of fun way to get engaged, take your mind off things. What's the one we're going to do tonight? It was your idea. Yeah, I texted Clint this morning about it. Uh, I thought it'd be fun to do the Battle of Justice and like pit two riffs against each other. But uh, And I already filmed mine, but I told Clint we can each film us playing a certain riff from the record, you know, 20 seconds long or whatever. Just a fun way to us to you know sit down, play some riffs, throw it out there to you guys, and you guys can vote on it and discuss which riff is better and stuff like that. So that'll be a fun one for. for this tonight. is assuming that I can play any riff on Injustice for All. <laughs> you can play Black and <laughs> I can play them. I'm just mostly that's a tough record though. That's it is a tough. record. I'm gonna have yeah. to go for like Harvester and the slower jams. Yeah, I did uh, Shortest Straw, the main riff. Cool. Well, that means that Blacken's open, then I can definitely do that. Okay, cool. So go follow us on all that. Just look up Metal Up Your Podcast, but we're on all that stuff. We're on YouTube and Stitcher and wherever you get all this crap, we're on all that. Yeah. Uh, Lastly, before we get into the emails, go leave us a positive review on iTunes. The support, you know, especially during all this, means a lot to us uh, that people get ears on the podcast. And then, of course, the Patreon that you're going to hear a commercial for. I mean... Basically, Ethan and I don't have jobs anymore <laughs> for the for the foreseeable future. <laughs> so the support that we get for continuing to make the Metallica content that we lovingly deliver to you all for free uh, means a lot to us in this time. So, yeah, it does. Of course, a lot of you are in economic hardship as, just like we are and people in the service industry and well, all, all sorts of people. A lot of people are affected by this. But for those of you who aren't and who are lucky enough to have to be able to support people like us, it just means a lot. It goes a long way. 
And, if, you know, if you can, awesome. If you can't, we totally get it. So there's no pressure. We're looking at you, Mrs. Smith. <laughs> yeah, recent crybaby wah-off winner. You can afford four wah pedals. Four wah pedals and a nice wig. Uh, we <laughs> did get some patrons that I want to give a shout-out to. We, at the yeah. very minimum, we like to say thank you. So we have Anthony Marka, Matthias Knobloch, who didn't do uh, Patreon but sent us a PayPal donation, which you can also do. Edward Curran and Santiago Torrance. We're going to clap for them right now. All right. Absolutely. These are the Thank heroes. you guys so much. These are the Metal Up Your Podcast heroes. It means a lot to yeah. us. We really appreciate it. That's all we'll say about that. And we get emails every week from Metal Up Your Podcast family. We like to read five of them. And we're going to do that now in what we lovingly like to refer to as the email portal. <laughs> All right, our first email is from Mark Ferguson. He says, what's up, brothers? As COVID-19 rages, as of 3.18, Metallica still lists a show in Santiago, Chile on 4.15. Considering the abundance of musicians playing song shows online, don't you suspect Metallica is planning a streaming show for some time uh, before the first live gig? Assuming James is good to go before 4.15, uh, isn't it a huge win-win for them to do some kind of online event while we're all confined at home? If not, why not? Um, it's Mark from San Jose, California, New Jersey, New Jersey, New Jersey. Um, yeah, well, we already kind of touched on the, the South America show still being on their website for some reason. But, uh, yeah, it would be really cool if they did some kind of streaming thing from HQ or something. But, uh, you know, again, they all might be trying to keep their distance as well since they live in different states. It might be kind of tough. Let's just think about that. For them to do a streaming gig at HQ that's going to involve the four of them being there. And keep in mind, they don't live there. I mean, Lars, I guess, still lives in Marin County, but Robert yeah. lives in L.A., James is in Colorado, Kirk's in Hawaii. I don't even know if you can fly in and out of Hawaii right now. I have no idea. Then you got all the crew. You got someone like Jimmy who lives in Atlanta, or Jimmy lives in Cleveland. Chad Z lives in Atlanta. I don't know where Zach lives. Their AV crew. Uh, yeah. You, you may even have someone like Wes, our buddy Wes, who lives in Florida. You've yeah. got to have all these people coming out to California in a time where people are quarantined so yeah that would be i think again maybe kind of irresponsible to bring all their crew in i mean even i know you can still technically fly right now it's not advised but i mean i don't think wes would want to get on a five-hour flight from florida to san francisco right now and here's what wes is doing wes is at home in florida with his family worried about his kids so yeah uh, you know i'm sure he would do it if i don't i can't speak for wes but i haven't talked to him about this i'm just saying anyone no one really wants to get called into work. Right. My my wife's last day where she had to go into the office, it was kind of frustrating for me because it was like she can do her job from home, which she is now. But there was this one day where she did have to go in and it was stressful because it was like, sure. why are we doing this unnecessary thing mm -hmm. when we don't have to? So selfishly, I want to see that. I want to hear from Metallica. I want to see them do a live thing. I want to see them do a show from HQ where they open and close the show with the song Fixer. <laughs> because they listen to the podcast and they know that it's one of my favorite Metallica songs. But yeah, I wouldn't they want, want to please Clint. But I wouldn't want any of them to be in danger of getting sick. Of course. I mean, I don't want Lars getting sick and then getting his dad sick. Uh, right. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of just where we're at with this. But it is an interesting question, Mark. And thank you for writing in. Hope you and your gal are okay out in California. Thank you. I've hung out with Mark before on tour. Cool dude. Anthony awesome. Marco, new patron, writes in and says, Ethan and Clint, I found the podcast when searching for more information on Greg Fiddleman. Listened to every episode in order until the Fiddleman episode and just kept going from there. The podcast you put out is more than just about Metallica. The insight you provide about the music industry, touring, recording, performing, writing, producing, 
has been just as enlightening for me. Thanks, dude. He says, I got on the ride after the Black Album came out. My older brother's friend played the CD on a road trip. This is an interesting story, Ethan. He says, but we would only listen to the guitar intros of the songs. I specifically remember being blown away by the guitar sounds of Sandman, True, and Wherever I May Roam. I was only 11 or 12 at the time and was still scared to listen to heavy metal. So when James (laughs) started singing, I would skip the track before Satan could take over my brain. (laughs) I love that. What's so funny about that, too, is like in the grand scheme of sort of satanic metal metallica is so harmless absolutely it's like people who were worried that kiss were satanists when really all they were singing about was just like trying to fuck chicks it's yeah. like here's who you need to be scared of cattle decapitation <laughs> right. you know what i mean <laughs> whose hit song is called forced gender mutilation any any band from scandinavia whose whose band logo you can't read and exactly. could use as a weapon <laughs> here's who you need to look out for big time Cannibal Corpse, where every song is about killing and having sex with bodies and eating and eating, eating kids and stuff. Right. Look out maybe for those don't bands. Listen to, maybe don't listen to Gigi Allen. I think you're okay with the Black Album. Although there is a song in there called The God That Failed, which is a, a sort of misleading title. Yeah, it's, it's definitely misleading. You know? Yeah, it's not a satanic song. But. Anyway, I thought that was pretty funny. He says, I eventually it explored is. the back catalog and the riffs were more and more amazing to me. I think Hetfield's rhythm sound was a huge motivating force for me to try and learn guitar. He says, in 94, with no YouTube available, it was a Ride the Lightning tablature book that taught me to play. Wow. He says, at at first I thought guitar was too hard because I was trying to play the guitar harmony parts that open Fight Fire and Ride the Lightning by myself. I didn't understand that two guitar players or two overdubbed guitars on the record were making the sound. Frustrated that I would never learn, I turned the page to Bells, and the world of guitar opened up when I was able to play the opening riffs just like they sounded on the album. Learning one riff inspired me to work to learn the next. I still play guitar after 25 years. Keep up the great work. So grateful for this content. Sincerely, Anthony Marka from San Diego, California, New Jersey. Another San Diegan. Man, that is so true. I I don't know if I had that experience with Fight Fire, but there's some... I, you know what I probably did have the experience with was like To Live Is To Die or something, because I had the Justice Day right. book, is I didn't understand that they layer those guitar parts Mm-hmm. And when it doesn't sound like the record, you feel like you're failing at it. Yeah, and it's tough when you're that young learning guitar and you don't really understand anything about recording, overdubbing and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, like him, like Anthony, I was in the sim- a similar boat where I kind of gravitated towards the songs where the riffs were a little easier and within my ability, you know. Within your hands. The ones that were all within my hands, you know. And then like him, I opened the tab book and I turned the page. <laughs> You turned the page to For Whom the Bell Tolls. It makes me want to go get in a time machine and be his guitar teacher because that's the key. And and it's, he sounds like he figured it out. But yeah, you got to get something under your hands that's easier, that's manageable, and that you make that connection of like the thing you're hearing on your favorite record. You're you can do that. Yeah, exactly. that's such a huge lightning striking, no pun intended, lightning striking oh, yeah. moment where you, f- you get inspired and encouraged to keep doing the hard work. Oh, it's so exciting too. I remember, you know. Bells, for instance, like learning the da 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 I was just like, oh my God, it sounds like the record. This yep. is amazing. I remember in the, in the tab book I had, I think I had the lightning tab book also, they had tabbed out that bass part for guitar. Yeah. So you could even play that riff with Cliff, you know? Yeah. Riff, hey, riffs with Cliff. Oh, our new segment, Riffs with Cliff on yeah. the Mr. Rogers Metallica Hour. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, well, thank you, Anthony. Um, thanks, Daniel, from Matt Kerr. Uh, this is to you, Clint. He says, uh, do you think that lunar Satan will fly through space and conquer the world while we are all sick with the coronavirus? It's my greatest fear, that and running out of toilet paper. <laughs> On a serious note, um, I was listening to your coronavirus episode and wanted to share something with you. You mentioned maybe not going to visit one's parents. Only a few, only a few minutes before you said that, I had emailed my parents to say that I might not visit Easter uh, on Easter due to everything going on. Their response was one of confusion that they clearly do not understand that this is being spread by people who don't know they're infected. My parents are elderly and my dad has health issues that have left him with a compromised immune system. He's exactly the type of person who would die from this virus. So I don't want to unwillingly spread it to him. I think a lot of older people get, uh, get this. Oh, don't sorry. I don't think a lot of older people get this. Stay healthy from Matt. Yeah. Well, that's a big problem. It's a big problem because kids are pretty much asymptomatic. And uh, dude, a report came out from China which, you know, take that for what you will. There's some there's some noise out there that maybe the information we're getting from China about the virus isn't accurate, but a right. report came out either early this morning or late last night that a third of the cases, people weren't showing symptoms. Yeah. So you could be a vector for this thing and be fine, but when you're doing that and you're thinking, oh, I'm fine, I must not have it, I don't have a temperature or whatever, I'm not yeah. coughing, you might give it to someone who who is more vulnerable. Right, yeah. A couple things that I've seen that, that I mean, if you catch this virus it can stay in your body with no symptoms for like 10 days or something right so that's why this whole social distancing thing i'm sure people are getting sick of that term but it's true that's why it's so important is like you might be like oh i'm totally fine i feel normal i'm gonna i'm gonna run to wherever and go pick this up because i'm bored you know you don't necessarily know what the, the you could be spreading if you actually have it or not so and especially with elderly people and you know oh, i gotta go see my mom she's 93 or whatever it's tough you know well and here's here's some sort of unfortunate um Here's just some sort of unfortunate way this is playing out is older people are more likely to not take this seriously because like my dad, because there's there's a rhetoric happening that for a long time said this wasn't a big deal. Yeah. You know, to the orange ones credit, that's changed. But for a long time, it was called a hoax. And then it was Mm -hmm. it was said that there were only 10 cases. It was going to go down to zero, that it was going to solve itself that it was under control, that it was just like the flu. Right. Um, none of these things are true. And the people who listen to those news outlets believe that, and they tend to be people like our parents. Right, yeah. And so, and these are the people who are the most vulnerable. These are the people who are most likely to die from it. So yes. um, I think anything we can do to help our parents and our grandparents understand how serious it is is really important. I mean... My my parents are are right leaning people, and it was important to talk to them and make sure that they were taking it seriously, that they weren't going to work, which they aren't. Right. It sounds like your dad might be similar, like maybe he he being a little more cavalier about it than you would want. Yeah, v- very much so. I, my my dad's at, at this age now; he's almost seventy. Yeah, he just doesn't give a shit. Right, like, he really doesn't. He's just like whatever. Like he works at Home Depot, which I don't think Home Depots are closing. Yeah, um, I don't think so right now. I think it's maybe considered essential for certain things, maybe. I don't know. Um, c- construction, obviously, housing. So he works at Home Depot in California, and so he's still going to work and stuff. And, I mean, I shot him you know, a bunch of text messages. I'm like, Pops, just please just be mindful of this. You know, like, if even if you, even if you think it's kind of a joke, just humor me and just don't walk up to people in close proximity because <laughs> my dad's such a social person, loves right. talking to people. Right. So I'm just, just, you know, at least at the very least, humor me and my sisters and just practice this stuff at least for the next 30 days please quit licking doorknobs please yeah can you stop licking the floor at home depot (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I think I think us actually just reaching out to her parents is is going to do a lot of good because whatever, despite what they hear, if they hear the truth from us and hear sincere pleas from us to take it seriously, I think that's going to be pretty meaningful. So, reach out to your parents. And a lot of people are lonely, and uh, maybe they don't have anyone. You know, maybe you got a grandparent or a parent that doesn't have a partner, and maybe they're in the house alone. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're not that close. Maybe you don't talk a lot. Maybe a good time to pick up the phone. Right. Thanks, Matt. Jason Sheedy writes, Hey, Clint, just finished your latest radio episode. I think I'm now a Wilco fan. Awesome. I don't know if you heard it, Ethan, but I played a Wilco song. You did. Wilco's and, great. Um, he says, When you're talking about parenthood and trying to be the best father you can be for your daughter, the legacy you will leave, and how she'll listen to your music, it got me thinking... You're part of the first generation of people who are in a position to leave a huge body of work behind for your loved ones. I'm not just talking about music, but also your podcasts. You have, and I suspect, will continue to document a huge part of your life via the various podcasts that you've created and are participated in. I predict your daughter and her children and her children's children will be listening to your body of work long after you're gone. I literally had not thought about this. I haven't either. Now I'm like, oh, crap. (laughs) Should we have cussed so much? (laughs) Well, that's why we took out some of the profanity in the intro and... uh, I might even take this quarantine time to go take it out of every episode. But um, yeah, it's interesting to think about um, our loved ones will, you know, your nieces, you know, may listen to this and be like, wow, I have like 300 hours of my Uncle Ethan talking about Metallica. I mean, maybe, right? The last time I tried to play, my niece is uh, 15 right now. And about two years ago, I tried to play her Metallica and see what she thought. And her response was, gross. Gross. She's a big Swifty, right? Uh, she kind of was. Now she's on the Billie Eilish train. Oh uh, wow! Um, wow. She likes some EDM, but she man, listen, man. She's getting into some cool stuff, man. She uh, she's she has a beautiful voice and was taking voice lessons back in California before she moved out to Tennessee. And uh, we're gonna after all this winds down, get her set up with a friend of mine to do more vo- uh, vocal lessons. But dude, one of her favorite songs is Leonard Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Whoa. And I've got this great version of her and her, and her uh, vocal teacher playing piano doing it. And it's beautiful. I was going to say, you know, you should, like, make a demo for her. Like, you should record her. It's already in in, uh, in, in talks. Okay. <laughs> you have to have con- contact her, her her management, which so is yeah, nice. negotiations are happening? Yeah, her, her and, uh, her and uh, sorry, myself and her manager are, are in uh, contact, and that being my sister. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I told her, uh, you know, I, I've been encouraging to her, like, you know, like, hey, let's get you on instruments. She really wants to learn piano. So wow. once this dies down and I can get to Guitar Center, I want to get her like a just kind of a, you know, decently priced somewhat starter keyboard to practice at home. And awesome. Just want to be you know, surround her with instruments. Every time she comes over to our house, all she wants to do is just grab a guitar and just hold on to it. It's awesome. Wow. She's so excited about music. So once all this winds down, I want to start recording stuff, help her write her original songs and stuff like that. I think once this whole thing blows over, we should get an apartment together. I think you're right. Jason goes on to say, they won't have access to the music you've written during your life, but will also be able to listen to you discuss why you wrote the songs. Imagine if 100 years from now, one of your great-grandkids became a Metallica fan because he was able to listen to hundreds of hours of you talking about the band. That's a pretty cool thing to contemplate. It really, dude, That's Jason, crazy. which I've hung out with Jason on the road too, super cool cat. Uh, yeah, it kind of blew my mind when he... When he uh, wrote this email. He says, you've talked about your grandfather many times. Imagine what it would be like if he were able to host a podcast documenting his life and passion for guitars. Imagine if he had the ability to listen to what he was thinking when he acquired the guitar that you ended up trying to purchase from him. This will be your legacy to your family, at least part of it. Be safe and healthy, Jason. Man, my my world's got flipped upside down. (laughs) Whoa, that's heavy, man. That affected me more than coronavirus. Wow, this is a whole new lease on life right now. Well, thank you so much, dude. Well, uh, hi to my niece and nephews. If you're listening 50 years in the future, <laughs> I'm gone. But <laughs> by the way, this is Clint. Hi. 
Nice to meet you from the future past. He's he's dead too. <laughs> <laughs> you might be friends with his daughter now. I don't know. You might be in a band together. Oh my god, that's so funny, dude. <laughs> hey, it's me. I'm dead too. Hi. Hey, what's up? Thanks for coming to the funeral. We had a guy. Uh, we had a guy on Instagram who wrote in last night. Who's like, I guess we got like the tuning. We said that Sabbath True was in a C sharp tuning or something like three years ago on episode two or something. Uh, oh wow. And he he's like being kind of a jerk about it, and I went back and listened to it just to make sure that he was right. He was right. We were wrong. That's fine. And it's I was like, D. it's a it's tuned to standard, but it's everything's dropped an entire step. Yeah, whole guitar. But I think maybe we thought like sometimes you know, well, live they tune everything down at an additional half step, and we thought maybe they were doing that with Sabbath True, but right. they don't. Whatever, it doesn't matter. He's on an asshole because he said we were wrong. The way he said it was really kind of shitty. He yeah. says something like, "Am I gonna have to comment every time you get get something wrong?" And it's like only if you're a dickhead. <laughs> no, pl- please don't. <laughs> but I did think about like going back in and doing like a doodaloo, doodaloo, and being like, "Hey, it's Clint from the future. Uh, coronavirus might kill me soon." But anyway, I just want to let you know it's not C sharp; it's D standard. <laughs> <laughs> we want to we want to clarify the most important things in life right now in 2020. Oh my God! Anyway, okay. Jeez. All right. Well, thanks, Jason. Uh, next email is from Larry Levine. He says, Clinton Ethan, I want to take a minute to say what a big fan of Metal Up Your uh, Podcast. Uh, as a longtime metallophile, that's cool, uh, I appreciate the effort you put into each episode to make it interesting and fan-centric. He must not have heard when we said it was C- Savitry was C-sharp, though, because yeah, oh, it, he would we obviously don't put in enough effort, Ethan. Because did true. you know this, Savitry? Not C-sharp. It's, it's D-standard. I mean, shit, we were a half step off. God, we're we're the worst. You know what, Larry? I I wanted like to go ahead and apologize to you, Larry, uh, who just praised us for the effort we put in. I'm sorry, Larry, but three yeah. years ago I got a tuning wrong in the song "Sounds True." Listen, we're slackers over here. I okay? Obviously, I'm not putting enough in, bro. It's especially a whole half step off. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, it's nice to know that there are others there to geek out over this stuff as much as I do. I also wanted to introduce making my own custom picks whenever I met the guys in 2017 at the start of the World Wired Tour, and now it's become a thing. uh, I'm starting to branch out, as you can see from the attached photos below. Um, You guys listening can't see the photos. (laughs) Um, I'm uh, Great, lost my place because I had to make a joke. Attached (laughs) photos below. Uh, Two other types of small pieces emerged. I tried to dig up a a set or two of these to send to both of you, but I didn't uh, find out about the podcast until after SNM2. And honestly, after... uh, Tommy's, I didn't want to walk away with too many products. So I guess there was like a party at Tommy's before SNM2, ah. and he's making his own like custom kind of merch, and I think right, he gave right. a bunch of shit away at that party. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Uh, I said, I don't have one full set of any of the attached designs. Sadly, if I decide to reprint any of these, you will surely uh, be the first sets sent. Keep it up, gents. I'll keep listening. Unless we get a, a key of a song wrong, and they'll stop listening, and stop making picks. Well, I don't know if he's heard episode seven or whatever yet, but we get <laughs> we get the tuning. Uh, I he sent us pictures of the stuff he's been making. It's really cool, and for sure, um, Larry, you know when you get it when you get more shit, send it to us. And if you got like a website or something, let us know, and we'll post it on our socials. It's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, it reminds me of when the podcast was new and we had gone to St. Louis. Wait, no, we had gone to Detroit with Paul. Yeah, and uh, I was just walking around that bar handing out koozies. Yeah, people are like, uh, what? You guys listen to podcasts? What's uh, that? I, I have one of those. It's about Metallica. <laughs> you can listen to it on your phone. No, I can't. 
I would never do that now. I know, man. It feels, I, I just, it just can't imagine it. It just feels kind of desperate. <laughs> here, 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 take a koozie. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were young and excited. <laughs> we were young and excited, and the world was different. We weren't on quarantine lockdown. Yeah, exactly. We were able to drive nine hours to a stadium show. In, well, in... And what was that place called? Hockey Town? Hockey Town, USA, I think. What a title. Well, there you go. There is the email corner. We're going to hear a quick commercial from Patreon so you guys can sort of understand why it's important over there. And we give away a bunch of cool stuff over at Patreon. All sorts of... Uh, we give, we've given away box sets. We gave away tickets to SNM too, Ethan. Yeah, we did. We didn't even go to that, and yet we gave away tickets to it. So yeah. you're going to hear about that. If you are able to support us in this time, it really means a lot. It goes a long way. We really couldn't do it without the people at Patreon. And if not, we're going to talk about Metallica anyway, and we're just glad you're here. So let's kick yeah. it out of here, and then we'll talk about 2002. Sounds good. <laughs> You're really good at that. Hey everyone, this is Ethan and Clint. We're here to tell you about supporting the show via Patreon. That's right. Every week, Ethan and I work hard to bring you the best Metallica content possible. If you think the show has value, consider supporting us on a financial level at Patreon. For $5 a month, or the price of two cups of coffee, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast continues to grow in quality and content. But that's not all. In addition to being able to help sleep at night for supporting your favorite podcast, we've also come up with incentives to say thank you that are exclusively available to patrons. For example, for a pledge of $5 or more, you immediately get free downloads of every cover our world black and ep ticket giveaways for shows like snm2 and slain castle box sets rare vinyl metallica memorabilia like snm2 guitar picks email priority meaning we'll read your email first on the show the chance to ask guests like hailstorm jay weinberg of slipknot and metallica row crew your very own questions and the opportunity to come on the show as a guest for our metal tales bonus episodes in which you can tell us all about any Metallica show you've been to in the past. All this and more for becoming a patron and supporting Metal Up Your Podcast. We couldn't do this show without you, and to everyone on the ride with us, we sincerely thank you. Peace. Adios. All right, so before we jump into 2002... I have sort of really briefly recapped 2001. First of all, here's what you need to do. Hit pause and go listen to our 2001 episode again. You'll laugh, you'll love, you'll cry, you'll shit. But unfortunately, you uh, can't buy toilet paper anywhere, so hold that shit in. Yeah. I mean, I had to buy toilet paper like a week and a half ago, and guess what? I bought one package, like a normal human being. And the dude behind me was loading up his cart. I was like, come on, man. There, there was a video of some chick like clearing out a Dollar Tree. She was yeah. buying like eight boxes, like which the boxes had like 16 rolls each in them. Right. And just loading them in a truck. And someone was filming her do it, being basically being like, you're an asshole. And she's basically like, I don't care what you think. Put it on the internet. I'm buying all yeah. the toilet paper. All, and it's like just such unashamed selfishness. Like all I, I, I care about is my stupid butthole. Yeah. And it's, it's like, ridiculous, wow. man. Unbelievable, man. Well, it's just, you know, it's one of those things I, I keep, you know, talking to my wife and friends about this, you know. If everyone during this time, I understand it, it's it's tempting to like panic buy stuff. I need to stock up for a month or whatever. But if you just go and buy like your normal, maybe a little more than normal, just a little bit, like you're gonna be fine. Like grocery grocery stores will not close. It's not like they're you know like my, out in California, man. And I'm sure some of our listeners can attest to this. My sister sent me pictures from like 
whatever grocery store she went to to try to find some, some food for her house. And it was like cleared out. Like here, we're a little more fortunate where it's not as panicky. Maybe the toilet paper thing is, but like I can still go to my local market and they're, st- they're still pretty stocked. But it's like, if you panic buy stuff, you're what you're doing is basically making sure that someone that really needs that stuff can't get it. It's pretty rough over here. I mean, we bought enough to, we weren't buying like Y2K level food, okay? Right. We were buying enough to basically minimize our trips to the grocery store totally. because we're social distancing. We weren't buying like fucking nuclear Cuban Missile Crisis, Cold War, <laughs> Apocalypse cereal. We bought two boxes right. of cereal instead of one. You know what I'm saying? I've never tried apocalypse cereal. Is it pretty good? <laughs> it's, well, it's it's a little fiery. It's a little hot. Wait, is that apocalypse crunch <laughs> with marshmallows? Apocalyptic crunch. <laughs> uh, but it, it, I will tell you, man, the the vibe in the grocery stores is pretty weird. People it are is. looking at you weird. People kind of got a wily vibe about them. All the meat gone. All the TP and paper towels gone. All the canned vegetables gone. Yeah, bread all the, is all is the pasta in- gone. There was still some bread because, like, they're baking it every day. Um, yeah. There was, like, f- produce, but all the meat was gone. We were looking for uh, for yeast to make our own bread at home. Mm-hmm. Um, again, to minimize our trips to the store, and all that's gone, too. A lot of, a lot of yeah. bakers here in t- Middle Tennessee. Right, right. Well, anyway, um, okay, so we're going to recap real quick just to give some context from 2001. 2001 was a rough year, you know? I I think doing this series for me, I realized that the last truly powerful year for Metallica was 2000. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. That was like the last gasp of what was my Metallica, the 14 years since Jason joined the band in 86, through you know the rest of the Puppets tour, through Justice, Black Album, Load, Reload, the Bob Rock era, S&M, Garage Inc., I, all the way basically through I Disappear. Right, yeah. <clears throat> and then so... After that, things started to get dicey. Of course, 2000 was Napster and 2001. So here's quickly, I will do 2001. So January 17th, Jason leaves Metallica. Boo. February 21st, they won the Grammy for Call of Cthulhu. Congratulations, Dave Mustaine. Metallica gets you another Grammy. April 7th, the band wins that weird ESPN award. And we talked in detail about all this. April 23rd, they started recording what would become San Anger at the Presidio. But by July 19th, James has gone into rehab. Then they go dark till November 6th. The classic albums episode airs, which we've done a deep dive on that. Um, we have. Which they filmed at the end of 2000. And then December 3rd, James gets out of rehab, writes a really nice note. So 2001, 2002 is set up to be like, okay, well, you know, will the phoenix rise from the ashes, Ethan, please? Yes. Please, hopefully. <laughs> Pour me a bowl of ap- apocalyptic crunch. Please, please, please. Please put marshmallows in it, though. Instead of milk, put a radioactive green <laughs> liquid like you see on The Simpsons. Might we, instead of milk, use uh, uh, ooze? <laughs> oh, the secret of the ooze. <laughs> the primordial ooze. Yes, yes, it's the same ooze from Ghostbusters, too. Yes, Vigo. You are but the buzzing of flies to him, yes. Go, ninja, go, ninja, go. <laughs> I was thinking Secret of the Ooze from the Teenage Mutant No, no, Ninja no. Turtles. I like that we're... Yeah, no, we've basically combined Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Part 2, The Secret of the Ooze, yeah. with Ghostbusters 2, both sequels, 
in which a pinkish-hued ooze is yes. flowing under the city of New York, which is yeah. animating spirits. And, the, and, v- which, and Vigo is all about it. Vigo Carpathian. Yeah, well, you were the buzzing of flies to him. He has Vigo. You were about the buzzing of flies to him. I love that little <laughs> curator guy. He's great. He's kind of like that. He's kind of like that, yeah, boss, that kind of guy. Uh, hello, Dana. Yes, uh, you want to come to my apartment? I'll make you some uh, pasta. <laughs> Vigo Carpathian. All right. That's, um, a, that's a great one. So January 24th, we're just going to kick things off, Ethan. You know how this goes. We're just going to burn some of this stuff down. The kick few things. <laughs> the f- <laughs> bum, 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 bum. <laughs> and, of course, we're going to have clips all throughout this stuff so we can uh, hear from the boys and hear what's going on. So January 24th, in a happy moment, James's third kid. Marcella's born, so that's nice. Then we don't hear anything from them until April 14th, where they appeared at the taping of MTV Icon before they were on the show, which we covered in, what was that, 2003 or 2004? 2003, I think, because that's when the debut of Rob, too. So 2002, uh, which I believe maybe even was the first episode, they appeared there uh, as a tribute to Aerosmith, and this was James's first appearance public appearance since rehab so this is kind of a big deal you can hear in james's voice he's a little shaky mm-hmm. but it's it's kirk lars and james and they each kind of say something nice about aerosmith we'll dip in and hear that right now all right when i was 15 years old aerosmith taught me the importance of the almighty riff with songs like sos round and round sweet emotion all those great stuff and they also taught me how to combine two guitar players to the greatest effect when the live bootleg album came out, I noticed that there was a poster of the band and Stephen from the 1978 Day on the Green, which I went to. And uh, I told all my friends that I was actually able to see myself, or what I thought was myself, pictured in the crowd <laughs> on the actual poster. That picture never left my bedroom wall, and I still play some of those guitar licks that I got off songs like Train Kept a Rollin', Sweet Emotion, Walk This Way, Combination. Rats in the cellar. And in that way, the Aerosmith legacy still resides in me. So I just want to thank you guys for all the inspiration. And uh, incidentally, I have to thank you, Stephen, for finding my cell phone about six months ago. (laughs) Uh, Stephen called the number marked mom and told her that he had my phone. And so, oh, you one man. (laughs) Thanks. Oh, wow. This is not intimidating, is it? Uh, I haven't been out of the house much lately, so I'm a little nervous, but um, I've wrote some of this down, so... um, But it's it's all from the heart. It's all from the heart. Um, There are a lot of people in this room tonight who are very fortunate and have a lot of means. I believe that when you're successful in your selfishness, you consider your time to be the most precious thing you have. I also believe that the biggest sacrifice you can make is giving people your time. In 1993, one of my best friends, Rich Birch, was dying of AIDS. Through all the years I was fortunate enough to know him, I always thought he epitomized rock and roll on a street level. His hero, the guy he worshipped, is the guy who epitomizes rock and roll on a performance level. That guy is Steven Tyler over there. When Rich's time was running out, I psyched myself up to call Stephen, who I'd met only a couple times on a casual level, to ask if he'd give Rich a call and rub some of that Steven Tyler magic off on him. Not only did Stephen make me feel at ease at calling him, but jumped headfirst into calling my friend Rich. Over the course of the next few weeks, Stephen spoke to Rich often, and Rich would call me and roar about how truly 
amazing it was to get so close to Steven Tyler during the last few weeks of his life. I know it made a difference to Rich, and for that I'm extremely grateful to you. For the time, the key word, time, that you spent with him. Your band's perseverance and accomplishments are inspirational to my band on a professional level. But giving your time for people like Rich is truly inspirational to me on a human level. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, hi. First time I, uh, well, since rehearsal, second time I've been on a stage since coming out of rehab and uh, uh, feel, uh, feel a bit nervous, but I feel this is uh, very fitting to come here and express some love to uh, what I would like to call friends in the music business um, who have inspired me greatly. Um, I, just, I would like to just close my eyes and, and imagine myself in my room um, as a teenager, listening to uh, Toys in the Attic and Rocks and playing the out of them till the grooves were worn out, listening to every Brad and Joe lick toward the very end. I could sing every one of those things. I would turn them up so loud to get every last note that the next song would scare the out of me. Uh, especially little things like uh, before my favorite song, um, uh, Nobody's Fault. <clears throat> the uh, little, uh, someone walked into the studio and I heard a door or something. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> they didn't take that out. But anyway, um, uh, there was plenty of posters on my wall. And the one, uh, the one that really meant a lot to me was the, the one of Stephen and Joe up there singing into the same mic. And... Uh, my mom, uh, God rest her soul, she was an artist and she, uh, she projected my image onto the wall and painted me as Steven and as Joe and in a silhouette and painted. It was so cool. It was in my room. And I just really couldn't decide which was cooler, so I decided to sing and play guitar in a band. <laughs> so, um, also, notes on my hand. Um, I just wanted to acknowledge the, uh, how much I admire you as humans in this, in this music business. It's really tough to stay human, and there's a lot of people that demand a lot of things from you. And all the hell that you guys have gone through and come through as stronger people are extremely inspirational to at least, especially myself, someone who has fallen. And I love you guys. Thank you. I thought the story that Lars told was really sweet. He had a friend that was dying, the friend that got him into Aerosmith. And once he became friendly with Steven Tyler, he asked Steven Tyler to give him a call. And they, Steven Tyler struck up a friendship with this guy before he passed away. That's so cool. And Lars kind of tells a pretty emotional story about that. I thought it was really nice. Yeah, no, that's great, man. I mean, it's, it's cool when, I mean, obviously this is like a massive rock star calling another massive rock star to do a favor. But it, it, nonetheless, it is cool when someone like Steven Tyler, you know, says yeah sure I'll, I'm happy to do that and you know going into it thinking like I'm gonna I'm just gonna make this dude's day he's gonna be stoked that Stephen Tyler from Aerosmith is calling him but then it turns into this friendship you know which is it becomes this beautiful thing and, and all the way until he passes I mean what are the chances that Stephen Tyler is gonna call me during the quarantine days and we're gonna strike up a friendship I got a surprise for you ladies and gentlemen Stephen Tyler <laughs> <laughs> he just happened to be going through your neighborhood in East Nashville and then the quarantine happened now he lives with you
Now you're in Aerosmith. And now, I don't know the exact date of this, but I thought this was interesting. So sometime in April, rumors were spreading that Dave Ellison was actually up for the bass gig because Megadeth, I guess, had split. He was out of the band for like a record or two in their whole career. Um, so this might have been around that time. Well, I'd read something that maybe Dave was saying like hurt his arm or something, and they were on sort of a hiatus. That happened. That happened as well. He he. Long story short, I think fell asleep with his arm kind of over the back of a chair, and it, <laughs> and it like pinched this nerve. <laughs> hey man, that's his, his words. Oh God. Well, I fell asleep with like my arm over the back of a chair, and I pinched a nerve. It like damaged this nerve where he literally couldn't use his arm. <laughs> I don't know why this is tickling me, but how do you fall asleep with your arm over the back of a chair? I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to do it right now in my studio chair. It's it's uncomfortable just to try it. Here's an article. Uh, Dave Ellison says that Megadeth's split in 2002 turned out to be, quote-unquote, probably the best thing for everybody involved. Dave Mustaine reformed Megadeth in 2004 after disbanding the group two years earlier. Originally setting out to record a solo album, Mustaine enlisted studio musicians to play on what ultimately, ultimately became Megadeth's 2004 album, The System Has Failed. Uh, subsequently recruiting former Iced Earth bassist James McDonough to take Ellison's place for the album's touring cycle. In 2004, Ellison filed an $18.5 million lawsuit against Mustaine. I did not know any of this. Yeah. Alleging that the frontman shortchanged him on profits and backed out of a deal to turn Megadeth Inc. over to him when the band broke up in 2002. Yep. The lawsuit was eventually dismissed, and Ellison rejoined Megadeth in 2010. It was a weird time. I remember that. I mean, I remember Ellison was coming out and saying that, like, Mustaine was faking the whole thing with his arm, you know, and, you know, and of course he's like, no, this actually happened. And, you know, that's incredibly it, it was, likely, by the way, that he faked that because I've never heard of many people who fall asleep with their hands and arms over chairs in such a way that it pinches a nerve that hurts their arms so badly they have to break their band up so he can go make a solo record. <laughs> I, but, you know, thankfully they, they made amends, you know, in case of dismiss, and then they're still playing together to this day. Not to the, not to this day, but, you know, recently. I just have to look up Dave Mustaine hurts arm in chair accident. <laughs> in chair accident. <laughs> How I injured my arm. Here it is. Yeah. Megadeth main man Dave Mustaine's posted a message on the group's website explaining the debilitating injury in 2002 that caused severe nerve damage to his left arm and hand and rendered him unable to play guitar. His message reads as follows. In December, I was going to read it in his voice, but I won't. Okay. Okay. In December of 2001, a few days after Christmas, I went out to La, La Hacienda Treatment Center in Hunt, Texas. I had relapsed, and you will find out what the other questions, what led to that. And now it's time to get detoxed again, okay? On January 7th, I sat on a chair, which I hung my arm over the back of. The hard edge along the top of the seat back cut off the circulation to my radial ulnar nerve. After approximately two hours, I woke up, and my left hand was numb. I went to the nurse's station, and they said it was the hair tie I had on my wrist. I wish. I had to go into town to see a specialist, and he said that I would be lucky if I ever gained even 80% of the use of my arm again. This was unacceptable for me, so I left the rehab against medical advice and went home to Scottsdale, Arizona to get my arm checked out by a city doctor. Oh, my. I can't even read the rest of this. Okay. Okay. Well, you get the gist of it. Wow. Okay. Arm not work. Arm work again. Arm no work. No good no more. (laughs) <laughs> okay well but i'm glad elfson's back in the band so I, I guess elfson's sort of looking down the barrel of uh megadeth being broken up and there was talk that he might join metallica but newstead commented on that and says of elfson that would be really weird it would be a good fit but only musician wise dave's one of the best bass players there's ever been in metal no two ways no two ways about it i still look up to him and he's a good guy which is why i wouldn't wish it on him 
He could definitely handle the gig as far as the playing and the interviews and all that, but dealing with the inner workings, I don't know. Ellison, I can, I can, from firsthand experience, attest to that. Ellison is one of the sweetest people on this planet. Um, when he was not in Megadeth, at one point he worked for PV as like an artist rep. That's when I met him. I met him also when he was doing that. Yeah, cool as hell, man. Such a nice dude. This is definitely not a dig on Dave. It's a really a dig at Metallica. It's basically Jason saying, oh, he would be great for the gig, but he's such a cool guy, I wouldn't wish it on him. Yeah, you guess you need somebody with thicker skin or something? I don't know. No, no, no. He's just saying that it sucks. <laughs> he's basically saying... Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it because it sucks, and I don't want anyone I like to do it. He's saying he could definitely right. play it, but he's a good guy, and that's why I wouldn't wish it on him. Right, yeah, totally. Because the inner sense. workings, I guess, were... You know, Jason mostly was really cool in the press about everything, but he did take some digs, especially with dude. We'll, and we'll we'll deal with this too a little later, maybe on this episode, but definitely next year when they announced the Summer Sanitarium 2003 tour. Mm-hmm. He in the press had a lot of disparaging things to say about that. Yeah, well, because they weren't taking any metal, they were taking like Limp Biscuit out on tour. Yeah, that was that was those very weird uh, lineups of, of tours. They and were Jason doing. was like, they should be taking like In Flames and Voivod and, and metal bands, not this sellout bullshit. You know. Yeah, totally. All right, anyway, uh, also in April, James appeared on a government mule track called Driving Rain on a compilation album devoted to race car driving called, and dig this even, Crank It Up. Crank It Up. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man. uh, Who names these things? I don't know, man. What was the other one called? (laughs) The the demo version Eyes Disappear was on? It was something like that. Oh, I don't even remember. Like Peel Out or something. Yeah, something stupid. I'm a driving Also in this month, which is documented in some kind of monster documentary, Lars sells five pieces from his art collection for over $13 million. Chump change. No big whoop. May 1st, recording sessions resume for St. Anger at HQ. And again, all this is in the film. If you haven't seen that film, yes. it's on Netflix. you got to see it. We're going we're gonna to revisit the film also when we can be in the same room again and watch it together. Yep, absolutely. There's also a really great book that Joe Berlinger wrote called This Monster Lives. It's about the making of the documentary. I recommend Mm -hmm. that also for the quarantine days. You have time to do it, everybody. Most of you do. But so after James goes to rehab, they move all the gear out of the Presidio into the newly constructed HQ. You know, things are tense. This is when they're doing the 11 to 4 block Mm -hmm. that James requested. And when James is telling them, you can't talk about the music when I'm not here. Pretty tough mandate. And this is when they start uh, putting the pieces together of what would become St. Anger. May 8th, Lars and Kirk perform with Sammy Hagar and Michael Anthony at the Fillmore in San Francisco. They played four Montrose covers. Montrose was the band that Sammy Hagar was in before Van Halen. They played Rock the Nation, Space Station Number 5, Rock Candy, and Bad Motor Scooter. 
jokingly dubbing the band High Maintenance. <laughs> Sounds like it was just like a, a you know like a, just a party show. It was like bringing up guests and stuff, and maybe similar to the wedding band thing they do. But yeah, pretty cool that they uh, jump on stage with old Sammy. Yeah, and I guess reports about that were that like earlier that day they all went to Sammy's house just for like a thirty minute rehearsal, and it was super loose and fun, and they were all tight. And James is tight with Sammy too, but yeah. I mean, at the time to see Sammy jamming with Michael Anthony was probably pretty exciting for Van Halen for Van Halen people. Absolutely. Which I'm a fan of the Sammy Hagar Van Halen period. Oh, I love that stuff too. Yeah. The David Lee Roth stuff was the magic for sure. Yeah. But I love the songwriting in the Hagar era and I love his voice. And he's a great guitar player too. Great guitar player, great yeah, his voice is incredible. To have another great rhythm guitar player in Van Halen was just a lot of fun. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. You know, instead of Eddie holding it all down, which he's obviously a master. I mean, Eddie Van Halen is just easily one of the greatest guitar players of all time that ever. hundred percent. And we just, I think we kind of take it for granted almost. I mean, he's definitely like, in terms of what he did for the guitar, definitely Hendrix level. Oh, innovator for sure. Innovator, influencer. He touched everything. Every yeah. every hard rock thing that you like, Van Halen inspired. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. Okay, so January or June fourth, rather. Under the name Spun, Metallica, with Bob Rock on bass, played a secret gig at Chemo's, which was like a little club in San Francisco. This was the first show that they had played since James came back from rehab. This is when they debuted all their Ramones covers and a new song entitled Dead Kennedy Rolls. The first four songs, I think, were all these Ramones covers. Commando, Today Your Love, Tomorrow the World, 53rd and 3rd, Now I Want to Sniff Some Glue. Those were all live debuts. Hit the Lights, Leper Messiah, No Remorse, Bells, Dead Kennedy Rolls, which was also the live debut, I Disappear, and Die My Darling. But this is a kind of an interesting show, you know? Bob Rock on bass, really tiny club. And what's yeah. interesting is how nervous they were. You can see on YouTube, they all go to Kirk's house before the gig. Yeah. And they're just talking about how nervous they are to play a show. So I said, you know, look, guys, if you want to do a gig or something on some night before we take this break in June... You know, I'll learn, give me eight songs, and I'll just learn them, and, and we'll go out and do it, and we won't tell anybody. And they all kind of went, yeah, that'd be cool. And then, unfortunately, I had to find a gig. <laughs> so that took me a long time. I don't think, we didn't even find out till last Wednesday or Tuesday whether we were even going to play. I'm a little nervous. A little jittery, a little nervous. Well, I just talked with Zach. He said the first band went on about 10 minutes ago, or, you know, let us know when the band was done, and then... Just, you know, he'd go straight up there. Bob has so, his fucking yeah. bright ideas. All right. Oh, Jesus. God help us. Man, I wasn't as nervous for the San Diego thing. I feel like I'm going to throw up. Hi, we're... Fun. Fucking going shit over with. Yeah, this is supposed to be fun, right? Yeah, I'm fucking dying here. Hey, Zach, how, how are we looking? We're, we're all at Kirk's right now. It's packed. I'm not doing it. When I was there, I was, I was going, I looked at those guys, and I went, God, I hope I'm not having too much fun here. <laughs> but uh, I, really, uh, I really enjoyed going back and, and learning those songs. I mean, you know, it's the first show in quite a while. It's the first show with James out of rehab. He's still not sure how to adjust to most of this stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, let alone going back on the road and touring, it's like even just any public appearance live performance with that, you know, like we saw in the, in the clip with the Aerosmith icon, Yeah, you know, he seemed nervous, you know, right. it's like, it's like, this is a new James that, you know, not even he's used to yet. Interesting set list too. I mean, of course they're working up those Ramones covers cause they were going to be part of this tribute and they were trying to decide which song. So they worked up four or five and <clears throat> we're going to pick the best one. So I can see that they're excited about those songs cause they were cooking them up in the studio. So they're like, Oh, let's go play live. Let's play those. But the yeah. actual set list, like, Hit the Lights, Leopard Messiah, No Remorse. How about that? I know. It's pretty bitchin'. Deep Cut Puppets and Deep Cut uh, Kill em All. Yeah. With No Remorse. They played Dead Kennedy Rolls. Saint Anger throwaway, basically. Not yeah. great. Not great. Not great. And then they go ahead and throw I Disappear in there. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, I love the song, but that's like the only recent song they played is I Disappear. Yeah, super weird. And then, of course, Die My Darling, which they always murder, so that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I did not know this about the Spun show, but Jason was apparently there. Yeah, I didn't know that either. But he left before anyone in the band could talk to him, so I guess he heard about it, obviously had insider access. Because at this point, too, I don't think I put this in the notes, but I read this in one of, the, I think, the Joel McIver book. At this point, Jason's friendly with all the dudes. And I th- he said right. that at some point around this time when James got out of rehab, him and James like got together and had like a two or three hour hang session. Yeah, and I'm sure, I'm sure when he was in rehab and, and able to be contacted, you know, I'm, I'm sure when Jason had the opportunity, he probably reached out to him. Because, I mean, even with him quitting the band and some drama like that, I mean, there's still good friends and we're on the road together for so long it's like you can't just throw that away it just also really drives home that like jason when jason left he really left it wasn't like this well if enough of the right things are said i'll come back like it sounds like when he left he left and even though he was spending time with james after rehab and could see that some of the things that he was fighting for to change in the band before he left even though those things had changed he still wasn't coming back right yeah it's just what's done was done you know it seems like to me yeah uh, June 6th, just two days later, they did the relaunch party at HQ. This was originally scheduled for July 29th, the year before, but James went to rehab to celebrate the launch of Metallica.com. Included a short performance by the band with fan auditions to join on bass. So the set list is Creeping Death with contest winner Andrew on bass, Seeking Destroy with contest winner Elena on bass, Commando Hit the Lights, basically the same set as uh, as the Chemo's gig. Hit Chemo's, the Lights, yeah. Leper, No Remorse, Bells, Dead Kennedy Rolls, Die My Darling. How, how much how much fun and uh, you know without it been to be a, a hardcore fan and gotten to get in this in HQ to see that not only see that but two of them got to play bass with the band. I mean, unbelievable. It's like, I mean, it's like Metallica hasn't been active for a while. They've been recording games and rehab, and all of a sudden I get to go to their studio and jam with them, or just watch and be a fly on the wall. It's pretty incredible. I think I would have had more fun not jamming, like just being there. Uh, I just would have felt too nervous about playing. But it does look like the two people who played. First of all. They did great. The dude that did Creeping Death was great. The chick who did Seeking Destroy, great. Um, and it looks like they're having a lot of fun. Absolutely. Lars doesn't look like he's having a lot of fun. He looks kind of annoyed or, or he stressed. Does. He looks like, stressed out. I mean, maybe it felt like a lot, like just, you know, hey, we haven't even figured out what to do here with James out of rehab and picking up recording. And now we got to sit in the studio with a bunch of people. He does seem a little bo- like bothered. You know? Yeah, he seems a little annoyed. Kirk's in good spirits. Bob Rock's in good spirits. 
James seems like, you know, it's kind of like really fresh, raw post rehab James. So he's very, uh, you know, he's got the glasses on. Yeah. He talks about, he's like, welcome to our new HQ. And he's like, now you guys all know where it is. Basically, don't go tell everybody where it is. <laughs> totally. He's like, you know, we know you guys are going to respect that this is our sanctuary and, you know, don't put the address on the internet. Yeah, exactly. God, can you imagine if, if like tw- Twitter and Instagram existed back then? There'd be yeah. some dude in that room that's like, huh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet out the address for sure. Right, right. I'm gonna dox Metallica. That's the same guy that just bought a, a truckload full of toilet paper. Exactly, exactly. Those are all the same people. Those are all just yeah. the same kinds of people. You know yeah. them. Maybe the yep. same kind of person that gives a shit about C Sharp with Sabatru. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> you can find all this stuff on the Fan Can Five, by the way, for the relaunch party, which we need to just do deep dive episodes on all the fan cans. Yeah, those are fun. In October, a couple of things happened. James recorded the Waylon Jennings cover, Don't You Think This Outlaw Bit's Done Got Out of Hand, which is what the show opened with. You guys haven't heard that. It's really cool. And I didn't know this about that, but James played all the instruments on it, including the drums. That's awesome. I didn't know that either. Yeah, pretty neat. Uh, produced by Bob Rock at HQ. The tribute's called I've Always Been Crazy, a tribute to Waylon Jennings. Well, I've always been crazy. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, Waylon died in February of 2002. James would go on to perform the song in 2004 on CMT Outlaws. I'm sure we'll cover that when we do 2004. Of the project, James says, I'm extremely grateful to be a part of the project, to be able to put my stamp, my outlaw stamp, on the music he's created. Other artists on the album were Travis Tritt, Brooks and Dunn, Hank Jr., Ben Harper, Dwight Yoakam, John Mellencamp, Amy Lou Harris, Kenny Chesney, and Kid Rock. Oh, good. Kid Rock's on there. Oh, thank goodness. I'll have to rush out now and get it. I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm going to risk outlaws. I'm going to risk, yeah, no shit. I'm going to risk coronavirus just to get this project on CD because Kid Rock's on it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Metal Blade Records also in October released a nine disc 20th anniversary box set, which contained the Lloyd Grant version of Hit the Light. So this is the one that was on the first Metal Massacre. Yep, very first one. And then when it got re released, they had the one with Mustaine. Yeah. So we'll Lloyd hear that. Lloyd Grant was a badass. Yeah, we'll listen to that real quick. It's a different solo, it's got a lot of echo on it, and it's definitely got its own flavor. So we'll check that out real quick. November 12th, The Binge and Purge 
box set is re-released on DVD. It does not include the 72-page booklet, which is instead a feature on disc two as a bonus. A lovely feature. Grab your bowl of apocalyptic crunch and (laughs) snuggle up to disc two. Lootingly read the booklet on digital video, yes. Turn the digital page, please. And then lastly, on December 10th, oh, and this is... This is not a great thing to end the year with. Not a great one. Metallica collaborates with Swiss Beats and Ja Rule. We did it again. Metallica and Ja Rule and Swiss Beats album Ghetto Stories. And this is a pretty much a mess. It's basically kind of a hodgepodge of a few Metallica riffs with some yeah. James singing with some rapping over it. But the We Did It Again part that one of the rappers does is out of key. And then the lyrics don't make weird. sense. It's pretty weird. I'm almost glad that I didn't know about this until recent days i really didn't i didn't know this was a thing. i didn't either i don't remember this at the time yeah I, I'm, I'm imagining it did not get much press back then yeah it's it's a head scratcher for sure but in a weird way it kind of sums up this strange period it, it, it's almost like an audio this and some kind of monster and saint anger are just strange documents of the weird headspace they were in yeah absolutely and in that way it's interesting. Yeah, for sure. No, it, it you know it is a bit of a time capsule. Now it's like you have these these things you can you know audio examples of what the band was going through at the time and where they were in their heads and in their lives and post rehab and stuff like that. And you know, much like you know we're we're documenting our lives right now, so our ancestors can listen to it. Right. That's a part of Metallica's history. And you know, for, fortunately or unfortunately, however you look at it. Well, and that's it for 2002. I mean, kind of a light year for sure. Definitely a light year. 2003 is a big deal, though, because that summer is when St. Anger comes out. We still got to do our commentary episode on St. Anger. I don't know. Rob Trujillo joining the band. Yeah, we got to talk about Rob. We're going to do a deep dive into some kind of monster, the book, This Monster Lives. And we've also got interesting people lined up to interview for the show. We're we're trying to dip into the metal tales while we're all quarantined. So we're going to be doing radio episodes, anything we can to uh, 
bring you guys content and stay connected with our our friends and family in the metal yeah. podcast family. So. Absolutely. We, yeah, like Clint said earlier in the show, we want you guys to maybe feel a little bit of normalcy and, and hopefully we can provide a bit of that, you know, throughout the week for you. Um, it's a weird time. Uh, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. We hope you're all staying safe and, you know, only getting out there if you absolutely have to for necessities. And uh, hopefully, you know, it, in however long amount of time, we'll look back on this and uh, and be glad we did that kind of stuff. I, yeah. I saw someone put something online that, you know, it seems ridiculous that we're all overreacting about this thing, but that's the way we, we control this, you know, and we're going to look back and be like, thank God we overreacted and, and locked ourselves down, you know? I'm not so sure it's an overreaction. I don't know. I'm, I'm still, it's just, it's just a weird time. Like I said, it's very apocalyptic, but, uh, you know, everyone just, you know, continue to do your part. And I know it can be frustrating to stay at home a lot, but, uh, and, uh, you might feel antsy and, and stir crazy, but, uh, you know, for me, and I know Clint too, it's like, you know, doing creative things has been really helpful, you know, whether it's writing music or painting or doing poetry, whatever you might do, or maybe it's time to learn guitar. Maybe you got a yeah. dusty guitar sitting there. Get on YouTube. YouTube still works. Until it gets the virus. Uh, the, the, yeah. The, 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 it's purported that YouTube may actually have COVID uh, within the next 72 hours, so. Well, they need to get Nor- Norton antivirus installed <laughs> real quick. <laughs> Norton. All right, well, we love you guys out there, and uh, listen, go leave us the iTunes review if you can. It only takes a second. It's easy to do. It's free. It supports us, and if you can, support the show via Patreon. It means a lot to us, uh, but regardless of where you're at in the support level, we're just grateful that you show up and listen every week, and we'll keep putting these out as long as you guys keep listening. So with having said that, let's get the hell out of here and say peace. Adios. <laughs> Our advice or what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs>